Open your hearts for the reading of God's Word today from Genesis 13. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling rose between Abram's herders and Lot's. The Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So Abram said to Lot, Let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine, for we're close relatives. Is, Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go left, I'll go right. If you go to the right, I'll go left. And Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zor was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, Look around from where you are, to the north and south, to the east and west. All the land that you see, I will give you. All the land that you see, I will give you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. Seize your destiny. So Abram went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he pitched his tents, There he built an altar to the Lord. Father, I pray that today you would open our eyes that we can see wonderful things in your word. Lead us, Father, by your spirit to decide to align with your vision. It's in the strong name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Now, the the motivation for this series, if you've been here from the beginning, you know that the motivation to study Abraham comes from the prophet Isaiah through whom God spoke these words in Isaiah chapter 51 beginning in verse 1. This is what God said. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, and that should be all of us, and who seek the Lord, and that should be all of us. Look to the rock from which you were cut and to the quarry from which you were hewn. Look to Abraham your father, and to Sarah who gave you birth. When I called him, he was only one man, and I blessed him and made him many. Through his prophet, Isaiah. 
God commanded that those of us who want to maximize our potential in Christ, those of us who want to be relationally connected to our Creator God, are to look to the rock from which we were cut, and he was referring to Abraham. Why? Because he's the one who got this whole living by faith thing started. He's the trailblazer, and the trail he blazes makes the path clear where we should go. So if we look to the rock, we can assume that we are going to learn and grow from what the rock learned, from what he was doing, from his successes, and even his failures. Now last week, as we looked at his story, we saw him fall. It was a great fall, like Humpty Dumpty. This week we're going to learn how to recover from a fall. Why do we need to do that? Because the Scripture says that we're all equal in this point. We all fall short of the glory of God. That means we have all experienced failure. We have all made choices that are equivalent, the equivalent to rebellion against our Creator. So the question we need to ask today is this. What do we do, what do we learn from Abraham, our rock, about growing in faith through personal failure? What do we learn from Abraham, our rock, about growing in faith in those times when we have made choices that are not consistent with God's will for our lives? Now, I'm going to review, in case you weren't here, do you remember his fall? In an attempt to save himself and his household from famine in the promised land, instead of consulting God, Abram looked around and decided to do what everybody else was doing. And here's what everybody was doing. They said, we're struggling to find food to support our households here, so we're going to go south to the land of Egypt. When he fled to Egypt, he fled away from God's plan for his life. God called him to that land, and he left that land because he decided on his own the only hope for survival was to go south, away from the place God put him. Now, if that wasn't bad enough, things go from bad to worse. When he got there, he completely lost his bearings and decided that his only hope of survival was to pretend like his wife was his sister. Do you remember this part of the story? Apparently, Sarah was a real looker, like amazing. And Abram convinced himself that they would kill him so Pharaoh could have her as his own wife. And so in an act of sheer cowardice and heart-rending betrayal. Abraham, the father of our faith and the friend of God, gave her up to Pharaoh and got paid handsomely for it. He became very rich because Pharaoh was very pleased. Now, we know that it was a mess But God wasn't going to allow Abram's anemic faith and foolishness to sabotage his divine plans. 
In God's eyes, he decided it was Abram and Sarai or bust. So what did he do? He stepped in and saved them, bringing them safely out of Egypt, even going so far to ensure that Abram kept all the riches that he acquired through the betrayal of his wife. Abram got out alive, but his faith engine in this season is sputtering and blowing smoke. He is struggling. So, what do we learn from the rock as he rebounds from failure? Well, we can rest assured it is not how to act the fool and get away with it. Okay, Abram certainly returned unharmed. He returned richer than he left, but he did not return unscathed. That long journey back to where he started was a journey of remorse and introspection for him. And his godly sorrow about how he betrayed not only his wife but his God, his godly sorrow led to a repentance that ultimately reinvigorated his faith. And that's what repentance does. He changed his mind. He determined he was going to change his direction, and his faith was reinvigorated. He, he didn't, when he realized he got out of there alive and richer, he didn't breathe a sigh of relief and say, well, I got away with it. Sometimes we go there, right? I made a really bad choice and got away with it. That's not what he said. Instead, he responded nobly. He responded as a man who wanted to honor God and the amazing grace of a second chance. You know, one of the things that we celebrate about God, but that may surprise us about God, is he is a God of the second chance. He doesn't fold his arms in disgust and roll his eyes and say, I'm done with them. As long as we have the breath of life, and the wisdom to turn toward God, choose repentance, then we have a second chance. And Abram determined he was going to honor the second chance that God gave him by his amazing grace. Now look, there are two things this episode in Egypt prove. Two really important things. First, it, it proves God's deliverance of Abram and Sarai proved that he wasn't finished with them. Now, have you ever got, gotten the feeling that God was finished with you? That only comes from darkness. It's not true. God wasn't finished with them. God had plans, God made promises, and he wasn't going to let those plans falter. He would do what only he could do to ensure that Abram became the father of the faith. Second thing it proves, Abram's response, literally retracing his steps back to the promised land, proves that he wasn't finished with God. See, sometimes when we fall, we need to own it. We need to go back to the place where we fell and seize the grace of a second chance. 
Abram chose the right path in response to his failure, and in the process, he inspires and teaches us to do the same thing. Now, here's the truth. When we fail, when we fall short of the glory of God by our decision-making, we can go one of three ways. One of three ways. First, in our pride, we can get angry and separate ourselves from God, blaming him for our problems. That's one choice we can make, and many do frequently. The way we get there is that we argue or believe that God made a mistake putting us in circumstances that we couldn't handle, but that he could have eliminated. For instance, Abram could have said, I wouldn't have gone to Egypt if you didn't cause the famine or if you didn't allow the famine. If you had only sent the rain, then I would have stayed right where you put me. I would have bloomed where I was planted, but you allowed the famine which caused me to go to Egypt. In our pride, we get angry. And we can separate from God. That's one possibility. The second possibility is that in the embarrassment of failure, we can hide from God. Okay, that, that's, that response is as old as Adam and Eve. Remember? After the fall, God walked through the garden. Where are you? They were hiding in what? Shame. By the way, anger comes from pride. And shame can too. Even if we are hiding from God in shame, the bottom line is we are separating ourselves from him. And that's the problem. Anger, pride, separation. Shame, pride, separation. Those are two choices we could make. Or there's a third We can be appropriately humiliated by our own foolishness. We can learn from it and rebound through repentance. What is repentance? That's that's making changes to get in step with the life of faith we are called to. Now, that's what we discover about Abram in this passage of Scripture. He made the appropriate changes to get in step with the life of faith God called him to. Thankfully for us, Abram was humbled. Okay, he had the wisdom to recognize God's grace in providing him that undeserved safety net. That's what he got in Egypt, a safety net. There was a hedge of protection around Sarai, so she wasn't violated by the Pharaoh. And God got them out of there with the stuff. And so Abram decided, looking back, that he wanted to honor God from that point forward. So when he received a second chance to follow God, to re-engage in that life of faith, he took it, determined to live by faith and do his part to nurture that unique friendship that he and God were developing. Now what we're going to see today is proof that Abram rebounded through repentance and began to exercise the two core elements of the life of faith. There are two core elements. There there is much more to it, but there are two things 
at the root of a life of faith. First is complete obedience to God's commands. Complete obedience to God's commands. And second is trust that God's way is the best way. It's not believing that God's way is the best way. I think most of us who acknowledge that God is God and we understand what that means, we would believe that his way is the best way. But to trust that his way is the best way means that we embrace his way. And there's a big difference. Okay, it's active faith. Trust is active faith. Now, wisely humbled by his failure in Egypt, Abram started to get what it meant to live by faith. Look at verse 5 of Genesis chapter 13. Now, Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, but the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's. The Canaanites and the Perizzites were also living in the land. In other words, taking up the limited resources that were there. So Abram said to Lot, Let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine, for we're close relatives. We have a great relationship right now. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Now, the the challenges that Abram and Lot faced after returning from Egypt were just more proof of Abram's struggle to completely obey God's commands. This struggle was rooted in disobedience or partial obedience, which is also dis, broken obedience. It all started when God initially called Abram to go to the land he would show him. Do you remember the call? God told him, hey, Abram, I've got got big plans for your life. Here's all I need you to do. I need you to go to the land I will show you. And in going, I want you to leave your country, your people, and your family behind. Remember, country, people, and family. It was his whole support network. It was his identity. But Abram, responding to God's call, like, meh, I've got a better idea. Do you ever find yourself saying that to God? I mean, not out loud because that would be really scary, right? But Abram had a better idea. He he thought, I, I mean, like, most of that sounds okay. And so without malicious intent... He took his family with him. He left his country and his people, but he took his family. And do you remember what happened? As a result of that disobedience, he got stuck in Haran, settled there, and he wasn't able to get unstuck from his partial obedience until his father died. Then when he was set free from his father, God spoke and invited him, hey, remember, let's go. Let's go. There's a plan. But guess what? Even then, he didn't really separate as God told him to because 
Lot was with him. His nephew Lot, he was with him. He was with him everywhere. He was with him in Canaan. He was with him in the Negev when, when Abram just went a little bit too far and got just on the outskirts of God's will for his life. He was with him in Egypt. And when he returned home with his tail tucked between his legs, Lot was right there beside him. He was with him every step of the way. And so not surprisingly, Abram's refusal to obey God continued to create unnecessary problems. Now this is really important to understand. We have problems that happen because the sun shines and the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Life is problematic because there was a fall. Okay, sin entered the world. There is darkness and evil. There's a dark force against the light. And we have problems. And we will have problems until we move from this life to the next one and we enter God's presence where he will wipe every tear from our eyes. There are going to be problems for those who are radically committed to God and for those who are whose faith is on life support. And then there are unnecessary problems that compound the ones we're going to experience in life anyway. And continual disobedience leads to unnecessary problems. Not surprisingly, Abram's refusal to separate from his family, which included but was not limited to Lot, created unnecessary problems. He and Lot, at this point in time, were on the struggle bus because of the vast wealth that they accumulated in Egypt. Their spot in Canaan just wasn't big enough for the both of them. There just weren't enough resources, or so they thought, to sustain them. Now, what happened was that that never rose to the level where Abram and Lot were at each other's throats, but their men were. The herders that answered to Lot were trying to disperse Abram's herders, and the ones that answered to Abram were trying to get rid of Lot's. And Abram wisely saw that this arrangement was not sustainable. What arrangement? Arrangement where he was choosing partial disobedience, partial obedience. That's, that was the problem. So he called a meeting with Lot. And he proposed what they separate. What God said years before should happen. Now, think about this. Do, do you think that was the only possible solution they could have come up with there to make it work between the two? They were in the land of promise, so it was flowing with milk and honey. There's plenty of resources there, but they thought there weren't. So was this separation the only solution these two grown men could have come up with? I imagine they could have scheduled times where on Mondays and Wednesdays and Fridays, 
uh, in the other ones, Lot's men took his sheep to the water first, and then on the other days, Abram's went first. They, they could have set up some sort of rotation schedule so that the grass around them was all equitably shared. I would imagine that Lot and Abram, because they were the leaders, could have just told their guys, hey, in no uncertain terms, hey, we're going to get along. Do you understand me? We're going to get, you're not going to argue with them and they're not going to argue with us. We're done with the arguing. The matter would have been settled. There were other solutions to this seemingly intractable problem. But they didn't even try anything else. Why? Because Abram wasn't interested at this point in anything but complete obedience to God. He chose the only solution that would put him in alignment with God's plan from the beginning, and that was separation, separation from his family. Abram had been given a second chance, and he decided in that moment, I am not going to lose it. By obeying God, Abram was showing that he wasn't going to continue to operate based on what he thought was right or what he felt was right. Our feelings can betray us. As a matter of fact, the scripture says the heart, which is the center of our decision making, which processes our feelings, is deceitfully wicked above all else. It didn't matter how he felt, Abram, because he was getting back in line with the call of faith, trusted God, chose obedience. He was going to obey because he had the faith that God knew best. Now, this is an important issue to deal with. Do you think that because Abram, and he's right to choose obedience, but do you think that made it easy? Do you, do you think it was easy for him to go, I'm fed up with this, I'm done with Lot, be gone? There's no chance. Remember, the, he didn't say we are relatives, he said we are, what, close relatives. This was hard on Abraham. There, there's no doubt. Think, think about how we got here. There's no doubt that after the death of his brother, Abram believed that he was accepting his responsibility when he took Lot under his wing. Having Lot with him was doing his duty. Culturally, he was doing what was expected of him. And I think he liked having Lot around. They were tight. Other than their servants who worshipped whoever the masters told them to worship, they were the only two men in that region who worshipped the one true creator God. Everybody else around them was a pagan. Now, let me ask you. If, if, if you were one of two surrounded by people who thought you were crazy, would you want to get rid of the one person that made you feel secure? This wasn't easy for Abram. There were lots of reasons to want to have 
lot around. And there were lots of benefits to Abram to having him around. He, he could have thought, Lot makes me happy, and happiness is the objective. But you know what the life of faith says? Happiness is not the objective, it's holiness. It's not happiness. Now, the world around us says you, we have the right to the pursuit of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? And so we go, well, I'm, I'm, I get to be, whatever makes me feel happy is what I pursue. This is the most important thing. I think Lot made Abram feel happy but what he was realizing was that God had a better plan. And listen, let me tell you, I, I'm not saying if you pursue happiness, you may miss holiness. But if you pursue holiness, you'll probably get happiness and certainly get joy. And that's what we were created for. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And so it's not all about our happiness. In the life of faith, it's about holiness. So because Abram was committed to God's plan, because he had faith in God's command, what did he do? He finally, fully obeyed. Now, I, I, I would imagine that we could all, all of us, Make a list of those things where, you know, I'm doing pretty good in this department, good in that department, and I've got this one going on, but there's just one little area over here where I'm just, like I'm warm, I'm getting closer. But I'm not all in. That's called partial obedience or dis, broken obedience. And if you're going to live the life of faith, the call is to finally full obedience. And it's not going to be easy. There are some things Maybe a lifestyle choice that you're going to have to separate from if you're going to be completely obedient. There may be some people. Maybe your work. It may be a habit. But the call is to full obedience. The rock from which we were cut, the father of our faith, that's the path that he carved out for us. That's what we're learning from him. Faithfulness to God's, God means complete obedience. The separation was complete. He had left his country, he left his people, and now, finally, he could say he left his family. Now, we're going to learn that doesn't mean that he 
completely ignored Lot and acted like he wasn't happening. Matter of fact, he gets him out of the soup because Lot went to the wrong place. He made a really, really bad choice. You could kind of tell that by the way it said they were wicked. <laughs> like when a group of pagans is singled out as a wicked group of pagans, this was a bad group. They were separated. Obedience, now I want you to think about this. Obedience was a necessary characteristic for the father of the faith. Why? Because obedience is an indispensable part of the life of faith. But that wasn't all. He, he showed that he was going to completely obey. But he also wanted to show that he was trusting God for his provision and protection. Remember what happened when the famine came? He started looking around. He was like, I've got to figure something out because we're going to die. He wasn't trusting God. Faith trusts God with conviction that God knows best and will do best for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So how did... Lot, how did Abram show that he finally trusted God? Look at verse 8. So Abram said to Lot, Let, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you. Let's part company. If you go left, I'll go right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot, amazed, looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zor was well watered like the garden of the Lord. That's good. That's Eden. That's God's place. And like the land of Egypt, that's not God's place. Lot was hesitating between two opinions. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. Now we, we have to remember context here. What was their world like? It was a patriarchal society. Okay, what, what does that mean? It means the men, and in particular the oldest men, the heads of the family, were absolutely in charge. Absolutely in charge. By all rights, Abram could have called Lot to that meeting and said, for the good of everybody involved, Lot, we're going to separate, and here's what it's going to look like. I'm going to go east, and you're going to go west. And Lot would have said, yes, sir, Thank you. I'll do it. Because that's the way it worked. It was Abram's call to make. Now remember, he had been making calls. He made the call to keep his family. He made the call to go to Egypt. His calls weren't ending well. So Abram had the decision-making power of a senior partner. What he said was law, and Lot would have to like it or lump it, but he would live by it. 
But had Abram exercised that power, which was absolutely his right, he would have been making the same mistake he made when he looked around and thought Egypt was his only hope. A faithless choice that did not trust God who called him to Canaan. So Abram learned on that journey to Egypt not to trust what he saw, but to trust God and God alone. And by letting Lot choose his course, Abram was trusting God with his. Do you understand that, right? Abram didn't think he was getting second choice. He knew he was getting God's choice. He took the decision-making out of his own hands. matter of fact, some theologians argue that he wasn't as much letting Lot choose where to live as he was letting God choose where he and Sarah would live. Now, whichever way you see it, allowing Lot to choose was an act of abiding trust in God. How do we know that? Because Abram was no longer in control. See, when we have to control, we're not exercising trust. We're taking matters into our own hands. Lot made his choice. Not surprisingly, but sadly, he chose what looked like Egypt. The land was filled with wickedness. You know what he did? He went where everybody else would have gone. The whole world would have picked where Lot picked. Open your eyes and see. It's green. The people appear to be strong. They're a little rambunctious. It's everything I need down there. But what did Abram get for trusting God? He got it all. Look at verses 14 and 15. Soon as Lot left, by the way, this happens a lot in the story. Abram's in disobedience. There's a little bit of silence from God. He's like, you know, feeling his way through in the darkness a little bit. And then he does the right thing. He moves into the light, aligned with God's vision for his life. And God shows up and talks to him. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him. When they separated, God showed up and spoke again. Look around from where you are. To the north and south, to the east and the west. All the land you see, I will give you to you and your offspring forever. Now, let me ask you a question. Did that include the land that Lot picked? Yes, Abram was standing in the exact spot where he and Lot climbed the mountain, looked around. Lot said, I'll go over there. So Abram's back up there looking around, and God says, I'm giving it all to you. Abram thought he was ceding something to Lot, yielding the best choice to him. He was doing it in faith, trusting God with God's choice for his life. And what did God say? I'm going to do more than you could ask or imagine. I'm going to give you everything. 
everything. Would he have gotten there if he had chosen to trust that God's way was the best way? I don't think so. Remember, the first time he made the choice, it got him stuck in Haran. The second time he made the choice, he was flailing in Egypt. And now God said, trust me. And he did. And God made his dreams come true. Having failed... By the way, let me say this. God made his dreams come true. And because Abram was aligned with God's heart, God had given him the desires of his heart. It wasn't that Abram was getting everything he wanted. God gave him the desire of his heart, which was to honor his creator, and then God rewarded him for his obedience, for his trust. Having failed, Abram rebounded. He chose obedience to God, and he took his hands off the wheel of his life. He let go of control and trusted God with his future. And God met the father of our faith and led him to a deep abiding friendship with himself. And here's the beautiful truth. When we choose obedience and we choose trust, we're making space for God to meet with us. For us to hear from God for us to cultivate a richness in our relationship with him that is absolutely more than we could ask or imagine. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? First, uh, I just want to talk about a couple of things while we're in a prayer posture before God. We're talking about the father of our faith because what God wants us all to be on is the journey of faith. What we learn from the rock from which we are cut is that God, by his grace, chooses to reveal himself to us. And here's what the scripture teaches us. Beyond the fact that we're all equal because we've fallen short, we are also all dignified and cherished by our Creator. The Scripture says, For God so loved the world, that's all of us, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him will not perish, will not live in eternity separated from God but will be connected with God and enjoy abundant and eternal life. So the faith journey is for all of us. The faith journey begins when you choose to trust the way God is telling you to go. You remember when Abraham thought he had a better idea? We often think, hey, I've got a much better idea than just like me. It seems so narrow that Jesus is the only way. 
Well, that's the way God chose. We don't get to pick what God does. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. That is the way. And so the the journey of faith begins by saying, okay, I'm going to get over my reservations, my hesitations, my doubts, and I'm going to choose to believe that God knew exactly what he was doing. He had the best plan and the, the, the clearest path to transformation. And that's in Jesus Christ. So all of this begins by placing your faith in Jesus Christ. And if you're not a follower of Jesus today, it requires faith. It's not a science. I can't prove it. It's faith. Will you choose to believe? Do you believe what God did for you? Having Jesus die on the cross so that you could be forgiven of your sins and reconnect, be connected with your creator, become a child of God. you believe? And then for those of us who believe, the path is pretty clear. It's obedience and trust. Not, not, it might not be first time obedience, but it needs to be full. Complete. And we need to trust that God best. Father, I I pray for each person who has gathered here in this room today. Lord, for those who may not know you, by faith in Jesus, I pray, Father, that today would be the day where they acknowledge the truth of your great salvation. Jesus paid it all. It's all to him we owe. We've been stained by sin, but his blood washed it white as snow. If you need to choose belief in Jesus Christ today, it's simple. It's believing the good news that Jesus died for the forgiveness of sins and was raised that we might have life. If God is calling you to faith today, take that step. Father, for those of us who know you, I pray that we would be inspired to follow you and to trust you. It's in the strong name of Jesus I pray.